Paul Meaton delivers a professional service to clients from southwestern Australia to Darwin and Sydney. He needed a digital signing solution that matches his professionalism. In FuSign, he found what he needed for everyone, including his worst clients. We don't really have too many bad clients now. There are still a few of the uh, shoebox type clients as bringing in work in shoeboxes. What we were looking for in a digital signing solution was something that was easy to use for all of our clients, not just the tech savvy clients. The amount of time that it takes to generate the financial statements, send them out, wait for Australia Post, get it signed, get it back. If documents weren't signed properly, off they went again. So just the delays in trying to turn around documents in a timely manner. We needed something that made not only easy for the clients, but it was also seamless for our team to be able to generate financials, tax returns and push them through the system, basically paperless. I recommend FuSign. It's a fantastic product. Uh, 100% should get into there and use it. It's turned our turnaround time for getting documents back from clients down from uh, probably at, at shortest a week or two down to days or hours even. Uh, if you're going down the Fuse sign path, I will also have a look at their other product, Fuse Docs. If you want a great deal, head to www.fusesign.com. That is F-U-S-E sign, one word, and tell them that you're from the trenches. Hey, David, do they know that I actually work for Change Accountants? Uh, probably not, Emma. I don't know. Why? Because this sounds amazing. I kind of want it for us. Right, all right, all right, all right. We've got a show. Come on, wrap it up. All right. Now, let's get on with the show. From the Trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. We are brought to you by Change GPS. Do what matters just like that. I am David Boyer and joined with me is Paul Meisner from Five Ways Group. And Paul... You are by the bonfire, out on the farm, managing another Victorian lockdown. Thank you very much, David. Hello, listeners. Hello, all. Welcome back. Oh, David, uh, in the middle of tax lodgement season, I have uh, escaped again to the farm. Just a bit of space for the kids during lockdown. Uh, not looking good uh, down, in, uh, down in Victoria, but we have been here before. And we'll largely do it again, but yes, on the farm. But compliance keeps going, David. Today's show, Paul, we're going to do a little bit with you, mates. We are going to talk about the compliance is not dead. We're almost sick of saying it because everyone agrees with us. To quote you, everyone agrees with us except the marketers of software companies. We can't think of anything else to say, but it's not perfect. Correct. Look, correct, David. And I think look, there's a there's a lot of we want to get onto some things that some really practical things that that we think sort of accountants have got right or wrong in the last year. But I guess you know one of the things in in terms of the compliance landscape, there's a lot of areas that people often forget, whether they're accountants and or clearly the marketers don't care about anything. They just whatever gets clicks. But I think here are some of the things that I always reflect on, it is, (laughs) that I always reflect on in the compliance landscape, that the the concept that data transposition equals the accountant-client relationship 
is nonsense. I think everyone who does it knows it's it's nonsense that, you know, we, we certainly sit on that professional personal service end, not on while we do tra- data tra- transposition, certainly that's not where the value is. There's also that automation myth. We often talk about it. If, if I swear if, if the uh, software did half of what the marketing people for the software said it was, we would be, uh, I would be a much happier man. Uh, the more I ATO data. That, I, don't, I reckon marketing's improved a lot, but I'll let you go. Well, that'll be, that'll, no, that'll be an interesting show. Uh, more, more data, more data equaling more ATO queries slash audit slash reviews uh, is something that is, uh, it, it can't be, can't be underrated as adding to our workload. Uh, additional lodgements from the, the TPAR reporting, STP, but even through the amount of people who are starting their own businesses through the gig economy um, or who are taking on uh, Airbnb rentals, Uber driving on the side, that kind of stuff just adds more compliance number of returns and more complexity. And, and as before we even get into people who have held crypto for this long and, and don't know what to do with it, been fielding calls this week on that. Uh, one person even found a laptop, David, with seven hundred grand worth of crypto on it. Uh, yeah, crazy. Well, you only ever hear news stories about people who lose the laptops with seven hundred grand on it. He, this guy, found it anyway. Uh, funny story. So there you go. Uh, but I'll, look, I, th- I think that those are the aspects where the, the the marketing spin tends to focus on this simple. And that's before you even get to the point where just because you reduce time doesn't mean you reduce revenue for an accountant. But I'm not going to – that's a whole nother, whole nother ball game. But I think there's a lot in that compliance landscape that we often know uh, but we forget to highlight. So it is a bright future. But, David, you, yeah. you think we're doing some stuff wrong. Come on. Oh, I, thought, oh, I think <laughs> well, I No, I know, I know. No, that's not it. I know. Uh, if clients, it's not perfect, and there's there's massive ways that compliance can be done a lot better. A big part of it is the way revenue comes in for it. So we're doing a bit of state of compliance revenue on today's show, Paul. Thanks for your soliloquy there. And after we do that, we've got an interview with an amazing accountant, David Anderson from David Anderson and Associates, who has taken a huge move after 30-odd years in his father's practice has gone out on his own because he was he didn't think that the practice was being proactive and progressive enough. So you can imagine the juice in that story that the bloke's bold enough to leave his dad's practice, the family business, to do compliance a little bit differently in compliance advisory. We're focusing on the state of compliance revenue today, Paul. We have three big things. The first one, and you brought this up, not me, you reckon it's too easy to discount. I think it's a trigger too easily pulled, David. I, I think that accountants, especially in the small firms, we have very strong, often you know, personal relationships with our clients, and I, I think that we, we feel for them, and during difficult times, we wanna, like maybe we go too too quickly to a discount. I didn't over um, any of this year. I. Maintain my prices. I think the the service was was up more in terms of just frequency of of talking to clients, but certainly, I, I think responding to an honest uh, request for fee help or negotiation, I think that's fine. 
I think accountants who kind of volunteer it and just across the board say, oh, well, we'll discount this, you know, without having, without being asked, I think is is a little bit too uh, too easy in my opinion. The Well, maybe it is because it's too easy, but it, it, where do you learn how to price? Where do you get those skills, your public practice program? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you got the jokes. I love it. Um, where, should, where should you learn it from, or should if you or if you don't know how to do it, should you be a partner in a small practice? Uh, absolutely. I mean, certainly you can. Where do you learn? Where does anyone learn how to run any business? Though uh, I think we certainly the voices in the in the industry don't don't what I think you know, teach the basics or teach. Uh, teach responsible firm ownership. The, the thing for me, David, I've, I've talked about it on this show. I've talked about it in uh, freedom mentoring, freedom accounting system, all of that. And and I will bang onto it because I, I don't think enough people do it. Is this concept of just fixed fee billing, putting everything on the table, smoothing it out. Um, I think when you when you have that really lumpy income and you, you're giving people once a year a a 10 grand invoice for their annual compliance, you really do add the pressure point on that on that transaction rather than having them pay four, five, six hundred dollars a month because it includes all of it. And the most important thing, David, I've always said this and I will keep saying it, including in ad hoc queries, you know, and, and that was something that if I, I mean, I haven't had a chance to reflect through in the middle of lodgement deadlines, but if you look back and reflect on the amount of extra um phone calls and and queries and all of that sort of stuff not only around jobkeeper which which you know change were very good on on helping people price for it and certainly was another lodgement but if you just look on the amount of people who who wanted to call on on ATO debt and cash flow boost and all the sort of things that have also happened i was already pricing for it and probably i'd won uh, I was on the, the the plus side of the ledger in previous years where clients weren't using it but last year there certainly was a catch up where I, I, I that every all of my clients got got their pound of flesh. But I think that you know something for me is is that that the fixed fee and including everything, including those ad hoc advice. When trouble hits, you're prepared. You know, it, it's it's about being prepared for this. And, and when we nobody saw this coming, and nobody can. But you know, if if you can, if people can use this as a as a bit of a way to to prepare themselves for if for anything similar to this next time, then they will have done well. Your next point, Paul, is moving on from discounts into something that I reckon I see all the time. I see it through the data in our back end. I see it through conversations. Too much goes into the annual fee, that 10 grand annual fee that you just spoke about. It's too easy to just bundle in services into it and not charge extra or have a challenging conversation. I think um, for me, there's probably a couple of points in that bundling. I think um, fixed fee is something that has been, oh God, I reckon an enigma in uh, in the accounting industry because, yeah, you had people who'd never who'd never actually sat in front of a client talking about you know going out there and, and trying to teach accountants how to fix price. You got so many pricing gurus that have never. Never actually actually done it. I think that it exploded when PI started pushing it at the launch of PI. Oh, totally. Look, totally. And then not, you know, not when Ron Baker wrote his seminal 
5,000 word page book about it. It's correct. But like I think, and I, and I think it became too much of an issue. It, it's really, it's really not that hard. Um, I, I think people have, have really overcomplicated it, but, but two things for me, one is creating a fixed fee to a set dollar amount. And, and yes, like you said, David, just throwing everything in. And the other thing for me is not moving the fee when the business changes. That's something that I've really struggled with. I'm, uh, I've often said to you and on this show that I, I rarely move the value of my fixed fee. It's really quite set and forget. Some for sort of eight years have been on the same fee. Now, those businesses don't particularly get a whole lot more or less complex um, you know, certainly businesses that add a new business or that, that have a major transition, um, you, you reprice it at that point. But there are some that have sort of steadily grown and I've really just offset that by efficiencies. But certainly I think you can have that that missing point. But one of the things with my fixed fees and I've been big on, adding the ad hoc advice, which is extra, is, is one massive thing. I'll say it. I'll, I'll, I can, it cannot be said uh, enough times. The other thing is my fixed fee, unlike some of the other fixed fees getting around or people who talk about it, is mine is a, a fish and chip menu board of services, as I call it. Every service. Price. I reckon you do it anyway. Every service has a price, though. So what, what that does is you, you can't bundle something in. I mean, if you bundle something in, it stands out as, oh, I'm offering this to you for free, and you get to know what you're doing. Um, and, and that's been a big sort of one for me where you can have the occasional, this goes in for free, but everything else has a dollar value, and you get to make an, you get to make your mind up as an accountant, as a service provider, whether or not you believe that is a fair market value for your efforts. It also helps when you do or don't deliver something that you can add it or and reconcile it at the end of the, the fixed fee period. So the, your approach is I, I don't I don't love the fish and chip shop analogy because you don't get enough space to talk about if it's just some frozen flake that's being brought in from the polluted waters of some backward country somewhere, or it's some delicious free fresh reef fish that's just been caught. But you do make an interesting comparison when you're talking about what happens if a service isn't delivered. And when we were chatting before, we said last year was really tough for you because you're busy and it was hard to charge a lot more because arguably clients were just using the service they'd been paying for for years. So if you take a 10-year view over Five Ways Group, you're miles out in front because a lot of clients paid for things they didn't always use but it was almost like buying a lotto ticket. I just want to know it's there. There's a chance that I might need it. JobKeeper comes, all this other tough stuff, all these tough conversations, and they need you. Look, clearly last year was a special year where in any year, on average, less less clients use it to, to their, you know, probably to their value than, than don't. But last year it just seemed like everyone used it to the fullest of their value. But... You, you look at it, and I look back on it, David. And this is this is what I don't get about a lot of a lot of accountants is they're scared to put a fixed fee on that advice. And I put anywhere from one and a half thousand to two and a half thousand, depending on the size of the group. 
But everyone else just goes, well, I'll put nothing on it. I'll get nothing from anyone. I'll get no fees from anyone in case I miss out on a little bit of ad hoc billing. And I'm like, well, I'm sitting here and for 10 years, as you said, David, I've nearly, I think, 11 years in business now. I've got one and a half grand per year just for picking up the phone and doing all that um, anyway. Uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty effective way of pricing. I but that was that we're I getting a bit off the bundling. Uh, our final big points, and I've been starting to get asked about this. We're getting asked about in the GPS Facebook group. My success managers are being asked about it. How do you tell clients that there's an annual price increase? I've never answered this all that well, other than just hitting them between the eyes and saying it is what it is. But you don't do annual price increases. I haven't, David. Yeah, and, it, and it's a really interesting one that, yeah. <laughs> I, I think well, I don't know. If you don't add more value, I don't know how you can just charge more. Correct. You, and you I can't think, say, because yeah. if, if, if I just said to you, well, my costs have gone up, but you're getting exactly the same thing, I don't know that stacks up. We actually had one of our products progress. We haven't, and I know tech's different. We haven't changed that product since it was built four years ago, so we dropped the price of it. Yeah, and I think it, it is, as you said, software, there is some some links clearly, but it is. It's different. It, it is different. I, I feel like you, you hit it on the head with that value. You know, if you can't say I'm doing more or I'm doing less and therefore the price is moving accordingly, I think it's it's a little bit easier where you say, I've I've had this for people who are scared or who want to put ad hoc tax advice in, and you say last year you got it for free. I'm not going to go back and recollect money for that. Um, I've been over servicing you, but going forward, we get to make a decision to increase the price. I think that's a fine way of doing it. I think if you can't, if you can't say that, well, in you doing that as a value discussion by saying, I believe when we add up last year, here's the value I delivered and here's what you paid. I think there's a mismatch. I'm missing out. Let's do it going forward. Um, And I think if you price going forward, then clients have a decision that they have a point where they can say, okay, yes, you're still providing me that value or no, you're not. And I like the fact that they think they've got to win. And, and generally they have because you've always picked up the phone when they've had ATO letters or questions or someone down the pubs wanted to give them tax advice. You've always been there to answer it. So how do you increase your profit if you can't increase your price? Efficiency. Bang. I think, uh, yeah, so for me it's twofold. For me I don't need to. Uh, th- there are some clients who have added complexity that I haven't re-engaged and I w- and I will and I should. Um, what's probably really helped me is that I've priced properly and, and that, I mean, that sounds arrogant and I don't mean it like that, but what I mean is I've, I've, I priced them. I didn't disc, I don't discount to get a client. Therefore I, when I take on that job, I think it's the, the, the true market value of that job when I took it on, but also I'm getting anywhere between one and a half and two grand a year more per client for the work I do picking up the phone. So I'm kind of not missing out as much. Therefore, the pain of re-engaging and potentially disrupting the close relationship is not going to get me a whole lot in revenue where I've already had the efficiency gains and and that's where I've increased my profit margin. 
if efficiency for me is going to come from two places. You've either got your client organised with the way they deliver information to you, which is a combination. Oh, there's a bit of tech involved in that, but mostly it's just working out what you need and asking good questions, I would have thought. And the other one's actually using more features of the tech that, well, for you, it's tech you've already got. You don't like buying new tech. You, you like getting every inch of value you can get out of stuff you've got. I want to throw a bit of a, I don't know, I've got a vested interest in this question. If the tech keeps making you more efficient because you're using it more, do you crack it when they increase their prices? Pretty much everyone increased their prices the last year. Uh, I... I don't crack it if the value, and this comes back to you can increase your value if you've increased the product. I don't think enough of the tech that's increasing the product. I think they have a far higher opinion of the value they've added in their prior Interesting. updates. Mm. And I'm not going to use names. I know it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a big it's a big day news wise for a couple of software software players. Um, big and big and small. I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I've been big on saying that I think innovation in software has been lacking in four to five years. I think whether or not a, a feature, for want of a better word, and I'm using air quotes, which doesn't really work on a podcast, but I think you get the gist, is that. You know, oh, we've given you this feature. It's like, yeah, but did it create any efficiency? Well, kind of it's it, they they leave it up to the account. Well, if you well, we think it creates efficiency. If you couldn't make it efficient, that's your problem. Well, no. Like, I think there's a lot of features being added, but I don't think a lot of efficiency is being added. I think the, the efficiency comes from the accountants having the confidence and having the commitment to use the technology properly. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The Paul other thing is, has the other turned thing, just, on accountants. No, 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 I've turned on everyone. No, I'm joking. Um, I just want to say the other thing. The other thing that I think is really interesting, David, and, and one thing that hopefully a lot of firms By the way, everyone, this was Paul said, we'll do this in six minutes. This isn't going to be a I lunch. know. Sorry, mate, yeah. Uh, the the other thing I hope I hope a lot I'm of accountants right out get of out of the last year is run the, run the firm. I, I hope a lot of accounts run the firm that they want to run. You know, and be that in time, in revenue, in size. You know that there will there will be people that want to grow it to the moon, and there will be people that want to um, spend time spend time with their family while getting getting uh, the the maximum revenue and very good revenue uh, for the time. So I think hopefully, hopefully the uh, the landscape can allow for firms to do that properly too. Maybe with some fixed fee ad hoc pricing billing. I'm available uh, for I'm available for for mentoring sessions privately. Just you know, oh, reach me, find, find me out. I, you know, you, I've listened to everyone else sell on this show. I might as well sell. I don't myself. think I don't think people <laughs> appreciate how much free stuff you do for mentoring other accountants. Thank you very much, Paul. Now I've got an idea, Paul, because this has gone on a bit. Because I, the dear listeners who have listened for a long time will appreciate how reserved you were in some of your comments there. Uh, I might do the interview that I've got lined up with David Anderson in a separate episode because this might go on for a little bit. But, mate, before we do that, we want to put a bit of a shout-out to a huge friend of the show, uh, Trent Innes, who has stepped down as Managing Director of Zero Australia today. 
when you have Zero's had such an impact on the industry over the last eight years. He's been the man in charge for that time. Uh, I suppose a thank you, Paul, to Trent for everything he's contributed, for his support of our show over the years. I wish him a lot of success in whatever he does next. Eight, eight years. Yeah, absolutely. He's. Uh, we, we thought that Chris Ridd's tenure was <laughs> was impactful in the industry. You know, Trent certainly has seen it. And in, look, in, in what I see as an interesting move, uh, handing over to a head of sales, which... I don't know. I just I I I worry about about big companies that head down the sales, but that's not to take away from where Trent has seen it come from. So it will be interesting to see where he goes. But he certainly added a lot of value. The shareholders might be happy that somebody that's come from sales might be taking the helm. But Trent's done an excellent job, and uh, we wish you a lot of success, mate. That's it for Paul Meisner on From the Trenches. Thank you very much. Enjoy your uh, tax deadlines. Compliance rocks. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar.